Welcome to the Culture Wise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here, we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Schugert, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson and our guest, Michael Flournoy. Michael Flournoy has been um, a believer and following Jesus for about seven years, but before that, he was uh, an LDS apologist. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit of his story today about his Mormon mission, about his involvement in a recent book. And I'm looking forward to this a lot. But Michael, what can you tell us about the the book that is just coming out right now? Right. So the book is called uh, Responding to the Mormon Message. And uh, it's really great because it talks about Preach My Gospel directly, which is the manual that Mormon missionaries are going to use when they're going to somebody's house to try to convert them. So what this book aims to do is to uh, instruct the average Christian, you know, what to what to expect when these Mormons come to your house so that you're not just uh, hiding behind the couch when they show up at your door. You're actually equipped to let them in and have a a confident conversation with them. And then it's geared towards helping them know what what kind of things they can say to the Latter-day Saints, what kind of questions they can bring up, and really just uh, what kind of demeanor you should have when you're talking to them as well. It's going to have several authors in the book that are all ex-Mormons that all served missions. So we were all in the place of these Mormon missionaries coming to the home. So we we have a really good understanding of their culture uh, and what their approach is. So I know that, you know, when they come to our houses, they're not going to be talking about some of the real blatant, you know, uh, heresies of Mormonism. They're going to start off with a lot of things that just sound really Christian. And their whole idea is we're going to teach you line upon line and precept upon precept. You know, we're going to start with what you can accept. And then we're going to teach you more as you progress. But a Mormon missionary is never going to come to your house and say, you're wrong. They're going to say, you're right, but I have more that I can teach you, basically. Right, right. And so they get really put off when we as Christians tell them blatantly, you're wrong. It's just against their their culture, right? It's, it's just not how they think and how they operate. Uh, so this book just really seeks to uh, gently talk to Latter-day Saints in their culture, where they are at is where we're trying to meet them. Uh, but at the same time, it's still, it's not compromising the gospel message at all. It's still uh, strong enough that it is a telling of the gospel, and it will make them think about what they are professing. That's really the aim of this book is just to to get Latter-day Saint missionaries to to think, you know, we don't have to just be on the defensive all the time where they're coming to our homes and and trying to teach us. But we do have an opportunity uh, to teach them, too. And I think Mormon missionaries, having been one, are really susceptible, uh, are really in a good place to actually accept Jesus and and we need to talk to them. It is our fight to do so. Yeah, that's yeah. good to recognize just the difference between how 
uh, a Mormon missionary is probably not going to come to the house and just say, you're wrong. Um, but they're going to lo- try to lovingly show those same things. And so it's encouraging that the book is not hiding away from some of the the problems and the differences that are very essential, but trying to communicate them in a way that is culturally appropriate, that is loving, and maybe even understandable by Mormon missionaries. So the I know the book is broken into chapters, and uh, you wrote one chapter really just trying to respond to and address one of the chapters in the the Preach My Gospel handbook that you were saying. The Preach My Gospel handbook is the LDS Church's handbook for Mormon missionaries to know what to say uh, at someone's door. So tell us a little bit about your chapter, um, what it is, and, and how you drafted it up. Yeah, uh, sure thing. So my chapter was the final chapter in Preach My Gospel, which was about the commandments. Okay, So it's not necessarily a message that Mormon missionaries will share with an investigator. It's kind of a after the fact, after you've gotten somebody baptized, they're typically going to share, okay, now here's what you need to do to, to live a godly life. And uh, and it's not just sanctification in the Christian sense, but this is what you have to do to keep your salvation and to earn your exaltation, to earn your godhood, essentially. Uh, but it is possible that they could bring them up at any point if it's convenient during a lesson with an investigator. So um, I go through and I'm talking about all the different uh, commandments that they have for their members, which some of them are uh, are going to be pretty big things, you know, like uh, keeping the law of chastity, you know, no sexual relationships outside of of a marriage. But then you've got some which are very Mormon unique, like um, doing your genealogy, okay, so that you know who your ancestors are who have not been baptized by proxy so that you can go to the temple and be baptized for them. Um, And I, I go through too, and I talk about how I felt about each of these when I was a member. So for example, for the genealogy, I never did genealogy um, when I was a Mormon because my grandma and my mom were super into it and they said they'd already gotten our line to Adam. So I'm like, okay, what do I still have to do anyway? Yeah, the work's already done. <laughs> yes. And and really what you just said right there is I think the uh, the focal point of my chapter. The work's already been done. So I'm showing just how much work there actually is in Mormonism. And and really, it's ultimately an impossible gospel. But I get to the end, and I'm just saying, ultimately, the one word that discredits all of these commandments is Jesus. Okay? Jesus already did all of our work. Uh, and this is, right. this is what I believe they are doing in the temples. They're doing work for other people, and all they have to do is accept it. And at the end of the day, that's all we have to do. We just have to accept Jesus's work on the cross and we are good. We are totally righteous in God's sight. Yeah. Which is why, um, which is why we didn't plan it this way, Michael, but your chapter is a, is a great chapter to be the last one because of the way you bring it home, because of the way you point out that it's really about Jesus and the priesthood of Jesus and, and um, you know, all the, all the ways that you wrap up that chapter, not just by talking about, you know, the works and the the deeds, but also by by giving us the contrast to that and what it means to trust in Jesus and what Jesus has already done. That made it, I think, just a great way to end the book. So, um, I, you know, we I wish we had planned it that way, but thankfully God was in charge and uh, 
and Michael, you did a great job with that chapter. So thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, I definitely had some gray hairs come in trying to get that that chapter done because I knew how good of writers the the other authors were, and I'm like, I have to <laughs> I have to write on their level to to bring this home. But uh, it definitely pushed me and. And I definitely felt uh, the spirit directing me, you know, with with what passages to use and, and how to end that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really grateful that you did. I think that is awesome. And uh, I, I hope a lot of our listeners will go find the book and, and take a read uh, where just briefly, where can people find the book, the responding to the Mormon missionary message? Well, I know that it is on Amazon. And I know it's available through the publisher, but Ross, I think you know more about that than I do. It's also on Barnes & Noble, Christian Book Distributors, pretty much any place that people find a book, it can be at least ordered. Uh, for, for my friends who live in Utah, you can get one from me. So um, if, if there's a way, and I'll cut you, I'll cut you a deal, but um, if there's a way to connect. But no, anywhere really that books are sold, anywhere you normally buy books, you could find you could find and or order the book for at least uh, at least for a while. Great, yeah. So, Michael, I, I'd love to hear about your your personal story a little bit. Tell us more about uh, your time in the LDS Church and even more specifically your mission. Okay, it's a it's a long story. I was Mormon for thirty two years. Uh, I was born and raised in it, and uh, just really didn't think there was anything else. You know, when you're born into a culture and a religion, you just think that that's the, the norm. You know, there's nothing weird about us. The people outside the church are the crazy ones, especially those evangelical Christians. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <of course>. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my family goes back seven generations. So I have family members who knew Joseph Smith, um, a big legacy of people going on missions. But my dad was a convert, and so I was going to be the first person in my line on that side to ever go serve a mission. That's a really big deal in Mormon culture. They start preparing you and getting you excited to go serve this two-year mission from the time you are a child. In the in their nursery, their primary, they sing songs like, I hope they call me on a mission. They teach the young women not to marry somebody unless they're a returned missionary. And so there's just a, a lot of pressure to go do this. They say it's a choice. Uh, but a lot of times in a lot of families, it's uh, it's not really a choice unless you just want to ruin your life by not going. So I went on my mission to Anaheim, California for two years. And while I was there, I happened to run into uh, some Christians who, uh, you know, this guy, Ed, he pulled me in. He waved at us from across the street and he called us in. So we sat down. And uh, he got us some water, and he told us that he was the head of the Evangelical Debate Society. And uh, <laughs> for for about three hours, he pummeled us with the Bible, with verses from the Bible that I'd never seen before, saying that there's only one God. Uh, and then he's explaining that it's illogical for there to be a infinite regression of gods. And I remember I turned to my companion, and I said, find the, find the verse that says men can become gods. And he was flipping through the Bible, and he never found that verse for some reason. But, hmm. but yeah, but I left, I left that conversation convinced that Mormonism was false. Um, but I decided I was going to read the Bible. He, Ed convinced me the Bible was uh, authoritative, and that I could look to the Bible for answers, and I could trust what it said. 
So I, I went home for weeks. I was studying the Bible, but I only knew how to interpret it through the Mormon lenses. And so I would find verses about baptism, uh, you know, John, uh, Mark 16, 16, right? Uh, and I just be like, this proves it. You know, it, it's absolutely true. And so I came out of this experience more convinced that Mormonism was true. And I would, uh, I would go, I would debate Christians all the time. I was debating pastors, other missionaries. If they ran into a, a Christian who knew their Bible, they would always ask me to come to the house to hmm. to talk to them. And then I cool. came home yeah. and I just yeah. I decided to uh, to start debating online. You know, so I was on Facebook debating Christians, uh, and then I wrote uh, a biblical defense of Mormonism in 2012. And uh, some Christians decided they wanted to start debating me, and one of those was Lynn Wilder. So, so I debated her. Of course, she's a she was a professor at BYU, and uh, that debate did not go so well for me. Uh, I my dad ended up saying that I, she had me for breakfast after the fact, and and I think about that time I just started thinking, you know, why is why is Mormonism so hard to defend? Why does it always feel like I'm a a lawyer defending a guilty party? You know, if it's true, it should just fall into place, right? Uh, but then. You know, I'm over here at the same time. I'm I'm debating these other Christians, and I realize they keep saying the same word over and over again, like grace, this grace, that. You Mormons don't have grace, and I just had enough. And I'm like, in 2015, I said, that's it. I'm studying grace this year, and I'm gonna completely understand every facet of grace, so that I can go into these debates and I can pull the foundation out from under them more easily. So I started studying grace and my eyes were opened. And it took a while because at first I just started to get a sense that, you know what, whatever it is I'm looking for is beautiful beyond compare. And then as I searched for it, I started to realize more and more, this isn't what the LDS church teaches at all. Um, And not only that, but it's not my righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness that I'm going to be judged by. Totally foreign concept in Mormonism. I started talking to some of my family members about it. Like I asked my sister, whose righteousness will you be judged by? And she says, mine and my children's. I'm just like, man, that is such a that is such a condemning gospel to believe in. If I was going to be judged by my kids' righteousness, I wouldn't sleep. Yeah. You know what? That's interesting though, because I think about um my parents. My parents have 10 kids. So I'm a good, you know, Mormon kid and my parents were doing their best to depopulate the pre-existence um, with 10 of us. And yet, um, so I'm an apostate in, in their, in their, they're gone now, but uh, in their perspective. And, and so really what a burden to look at 10 kids and say, I have, I had a brother who turned, who, uh, who decided he wanted to uh, become a homosexual and left the church because of that. And so like my parents, what a burden on them to go like we're somehow accountable for being judged for what are the choices that our kids have made. That that's so. I think that touches on one of the things that we're interested in is um, what are what what's the burden? What's the pressure points for Latter Day Saint people? What are the areas where we're going like oh, um, we're going to talk about that, and that might give them a sense of sure condemnation, but also a, a related sense of hope. You know, if I talk about the nature of God. Necessarily, it doesn't necessarily give Mormons hope. It's they're not. It's not. It's not. That's not where they live day in and day out. You know, 
And so I think you bring that up, Michael, is really helpful for our, our listeners to understand that there's a huge, and I think this came out in the chapter and in, in other chapters of the book, this weightiness, this weight of worthiness, this impossible uh, burden of trying to live up to all these commandments. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of pressure points where the Mormons are going to start to build up a wall. Uh, one of the one, one of them that came to my mind when you were talking about your family was just family in general. You know, that is an enormous burden, not only on the person who's going to be leaving, but the person, the people being left who are still in the church are going to view it as that person betrayed the family because now our eternal family is broken because this person's not going to be coming with us. And I think just the, the family is such an idol in Mormonism where someone's going to be real hesitant to leave because they're going to be afraid of losing that family. So I think what's going to give Latter-day Saints hope is really realizing that there's a new family waiting to catch them if they leave. They're not going to be leaving and just falling into an abyss alone. There's going to be yeah. a family of Christians that is waiting to catch them and and hold them up. And I think that new family for me is, is what kept me going afterwards. So, yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a big one uh, right there. I have noticed like Latter-day Saints aren't going to typically care so much about orthodoxy uh, or the truth itself. They're going to see the truth in a completely different light. And in fact, they may even say, you have your truth and I have my truth. But Ross really... Uh, picked up on something, and that is just the overwhelming weight of being worthy. And I think this is something that every Latter-day Saint is struggling with, because they are only worthy of grace after all they can do. And that's a very vague statement. It's one that used to torment me, uh, because I just think, okay, well, I if you ever ask the question, can I be doing more? The answer is always yes. You know, even if you're working yourself to death, the answer is still yes, I could do more. And you always believe God expects more of you. And at the same time, a letter is saying, if they're honest with themselves, has to admit that they are in sin. And all the good works in the world have not gotten rid of that sin. And so I think the answer of, of Christ's rest is not only what they need, but also what they want. I think it's the message that's going to resonate with them that they're not going to build up for because what they have to look forward in eternity, even as a God, is still having to work and having to create worlds and having to make your children immortal and give them eternal life. And it's just not the most appealing thing in the world. And grace is. Grace is the answer to all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The grace provides the rest that is needed and wanted. So uh, what were some ways that Christians engaged with you, uh, whether that's on your mission or with some of the online conversations you were having? What are some of the ways Christians engaged with you that you thought were either helpful uh, or not helpful, retrospectively thinking? Uh, yeah, so on my mission, I'll, go, I'll start with some of the not helpful things, uh, but I would have Christians open doors when I was knocking and they would just start yelling at me for one thing, you know, or just being like, um, you cannot become a God. And, you know, you, you aren't Christian or you believe Jesus is Satan's brother. Uh, I think any time that you just throw out an accusation at a Latter-day Saint, 
it's not going to be well received. And all it's going to do is they're going to take that and be like, I'm being persecuted because I have the truth and the truth is offensive. So it's actually going to do the opposite of what you're trying to do and just make them more convinced that they're right. Some of the better engagements that I've had, I remember uh, when I was first debating on Facebook, I had a couple of other ex-Mormon Christians befriend me, which I uh, didn't trust them at all. And that's pretty typical for a Mormon to just automatically think somebody who left the church knows that it's that they're wrong, but they're just trying to pull other people down with them. And uh, what I really had them doing was not telling me that I'm wrong, but really just sharing their experiences with me. And it was really powerful because the whole Mormon uh, perception is built on feelings and subjective experience. And so when somebody else shares their experience, someone's experience isn't more important than somebody else's. And so it kind of draws this stalemate. Where I'm like, okay, you know, I no longer can say I have a monopoly on experience with God because these people left and they are saying that they have a better relationship with God without the the restraints of the LDS church. So that kind of thing really made me think uh, a lot. And then just having, really having Christians not say, here's the true doctrine, but have you considered imputed righteousness? I remember when I first heard of that, I said, what's that? And they're like, well, let me send you an article. Just take a look and let me know what you think. And I read, I was like, if I thought this was true, I wouldn't still be LDS, you know, but it was a totally new concept that I'd never heard of at that point. And uh, I just really liked the, you know, just not the, I know better than you approach, but the, hey, let's explore this together approach. Yeah, so you mentioned yeah. that the grace was one of those topics that really stood out to you of like, oh, I don't know what this word is, but I keep hearing it used over and over and over again, and I need to explore it. Uh, are, are there some other things that really drove you into exploring the truth and, and in humility seeking out understanding? Yes, uh, there were things going on that had nothing to do with any of the Christians in my life, things going on in the Mormon church. So the Mormon church is constantly changing its policies and uh, and things like that. And so some of those were really starting to rub on me the wrong way. So for example, they had come out with a policy right as I was studying all this, where they said that children of homosexual parents couldn't be baptized anymore. And I was really empathizing with those children. I had a, I was a new father at that time. So I was just trying to think like, man, what if they wouldn't let my kid be baptized? I'm like, it's not the kid's fault. And in Mormonism, baptism isn't just an outward symbol of an inward change. It is what creates the covenant between you and God. It is what enables you to have the Holy Ghost. So I was really troubled by the fact that they were saying essentially, that we are better able to protect children than God is, than the Holy Ghost is. And when I started... Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, when I when I started expressing this opinion online, it really bothered me how defensive Latter-day Saints got about it and how they were defending this policy within 24 hours of it being mentioned. And I'm like, you guys aren't even thinking about it. Like, do we, are we not supposed to think 
And one person said on a forum, one Latter-day Saint said, I don't have a problem with the policy, but if I did, I would just pray about it until I didn't anymore. I said, if that's not a cult mindset, I don't know what is. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, my family saw it and they had an intervention for me saying that I need to watch out what I say in public about the church. And it really just, it, this feeling just started to, to really weigh on me because I was saying, if this is true, it shouldn't matter what I say because the truth is going to confound any lie or any wrong opinion that I have. But everyone wanted to treat the church like it was this delicate thing. And so I started to think maybe it is a, a delicate thing. And so, yeah, I, I had a lot of that going on. I was, I learned about the impossible gospel argument where, you know, it says in, in Moroni that grace is only sufficient if we deny ourselves of all ungodliness. And so I was like, I can't figure this out theologically, so I'll just do it practically. I'll just live a perfect life. I'll just repent of all my sin. No big deal. And I literally thought I could do that as a Latter-day Saint because I thought God yeah. didn't give us the commandment that we couldn't keep. And he told right. us to be perfect in Matthew 5. So I'm like, I'm just going to try really, really hard. And the harder I tried, the harder I died. I just, I realized this was impossible. And, and all, I, all it did was it made me more aware of the sin. So I kind of had this feeling like I was actually becoming more and more sinful the more I tried to be obedient. And so that exercise really just drove me to... Yeah, and that's actually yeah. really good. You know, as believers, we we see that a growing awareness of our brokenness and sinfulness actually ends up bringing more freedom, greater and greater and greater, so that when it was forgiven, we love greater and greater and greater. So it's such good news as believers to hear and to learn of our sin, how bad it really is, how well you have rid yourself of all ungodliness, that becomes a heavier and heavier and heavier burden until it has to has to break, like you said. Yeah, and I it and how long-term this process is going to probably have to be for most people who are reconsidering their LDS loyalty. There's a deep loyalty, a cultural loyalty. There's, you know, there I'll be marginalized. And, and so I think for, for those of us as Christians who are engaging Latter-day Saints, I think patience becomes really important and how, how we, uh, we're not going to, we're not going to see something, but there's this internal thing working that the the Holy Spirit has to do because it's such a deconstruction from such a potent, uh, lifestyle and potent way of um, of being, a sense of identity. And honestly, Michael, I wonder in, in your experience how much you've experienced the idea that there's just, you took it pretty seriously, but how many Latter-day Saints are not really taking those questions and those issues very seriously and maybe just blowing off their sense of ultimate accountability to be perfect? I wonder what's your, what's your, perspective from your conversations with people on on whether Mormons are really taking it seriously or not? It's a great question. Um, you know, kind of echoing what you said, too, I just wanted to make it clear, like, it was 13 years from the time I talked to my first evangelical Christian on my mission to the time I actually got saved. So, yeah, it does take a, a ton of patience when you're talking to a Latter-day Saint. And I think one of the errors I fell into as a new believer was thinking that because I was 
defending the LDS church and I'd been Mormon for so long that I was going to have a really easy time convincing them that they were wrong. (laughs) Uh, And that myth was dispelled uh, fairly quickly uh, because I just learned that they wanted to listen to me less because of my, uh, my experience. Uh, But, but it really has to be the spirit, I think, bringing them to a point of taking it seriously. I think most Latter-day Saints are really engaging uh, to convince other people that they're right and they're not listening. And if they are listening, it's just to respond to us. And I remember I, I I talked to my, my brother quite a bit, who's still Mormon. And I actually asked him blatantly one day, I said, if Mormonism was false, would you want to know about it? And he thought about it for a second. He said, well, I'm pretty comfortable. It makes him happy. Yeah, and and there's uh, there's guaranteed to be a lot of pain if you leave the Mormon Church because your family could disown you. Uh, a lot of people get divorced. I got divorced when I left the Mormon Church, you know, and and I went through a period of major depression as a new believer before Christ pulled me out of it. Uh, and your entire your entire identity is wrapped up in Mormonism. So to leave Mormonism is to die. You are actually losing yourself completely and you've got to rebuild that identity. It is the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are some recommendations? I know know that uh, if, if a listener is meeting with Mormon missionaries, a strong recommendation is get the book read read the chapters uh it's it's really insightful and helpful in that specific environment but what would you recommend uh additionally to that either someone who's meeting with missionaries or someone who just has a lds friend at the workplace or at the dentist wherever yeah so what i always recommend to people is have a first conversation where you're not really even talking about theology one of the things you have to, this is going to sound crazy, but one of the things you have to think about is we have a complete, a complete disparity when it comes to our urgency with each other. So as Christians, we're thinking this guy could die in five minutes, a bus could hit them, and, and that's it. Their chance is over. So to, to a Mormon who thinks that they've got all eternity to repent and become godly, um, we, just, we just seem crazy to them. So what I would do is just at least take one conversation uh, where you're, especially if you're talking to missionaries, uh, they don't have a lot of people inviting them in, uh, being kind to them, giving them something to drink, something to eat. It just goes a long way. And just the best conversations that I've had with them are just asking them, you know, what do you want to do when you get off your mission? How long have you been doing this? What crazy stuff has happened to you since you've been out? They all have crazy stories that they would love to share. But at the end of the day, they want to talk theology just as much as we do. Uh, So they're going to want to come back and talk again. But that first meeting is really just for showing them that you view them as a human being first. And, and some of the things that Christians told me that I really liked, uh, I had some of them tell me, hey, I'm going to be your friend, even if you stay Mormon the rest of your life. And, and that just showed me um, that they cared about me as a human being, and they didn't just view me as a project. 
I don't think anyone wants to be viewed that way. So yeah, I just think it's important for a Latter-day Saint to know that you love them first if you expect them to listen to what you have to say afterwards. Uh, yeah, I think that's my my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, that's really helpful um, to see there's there's a person that's not just a, a list of theological beliefs, uh, but as Mormonism is a cultural identity that our approach to them ought to be whole person, whole cultured, not simply addressing the theological beliefs in order. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing too is a lot of uh, these days, a lot of Mormons kind of vary on a lot of their beliefs. So when you pull out some text and you show them what you know Joseph Smith or Brigham Young said, they may just say, I, I reject that. And they don't think that that's necessarily a problem. So another another quick recommendation is when you do get into the discussion about theology, using their own scripture is going to be a really good thing to do. So not necessarily like miracle of forgiveness, because now they're moving away from that book, but the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price have plenty of of things that go against scripture. And then you can just do a, a compare and contrast. But aside from that, I always like to to ask them, what do you believe about this? And that way they don't feel like you're telling them what they believe, but you can often use their own words against them because they're going to actually view their own words as being more authoritative than a lot of their own literature at this point. Right. Yeah. And just as you mentioned that verse in Moroni already, that if you rid yourself of all ungodliness, then God's grace is sufficient for you. That That's something that for Latter-day Saints who are maybe more apathetic or they think they're actually doing pretty good, they're not very self-reflective on that, um, ho- holding that standard up and asking, how are you doing? How are you doing at this? Do you feel like you're winning? Um, and kind of bring, bringing the pressure uh, using their own scripture that they hold very dearly, that can be a powerful tool as well. Yeah, I uh, I was I had a, a meeting with a couple of missionaries recently um, at a library, and they were talking about God's love. And I told them that according to LDS doctrine, you know, even if we repent and we sin again, all of our former sins are going to return. And they said that's that's not true, you know. That would totally destroy the love of God if, if he acted like that. So I got them to say that statement, and then I showed them in the Doctrine and Covenants where it specifically says that, you know, because they didn't believe me that it was in their scripture. And I remember the elder just looking down with his eyes just wide open, and he said, I've never seen this verse in my life. And at that point, right. they got up and they left. They said they had something important that they needed to do. And I knew that they were just doing a strategic ret- retreat, but the seed had already been planted. And I think that's really what we need to be aiming for as Christians. Not a, you know, I'm going to pummel them for three hours necessarily, but I'm going to share something with them that is going to make them think about their situation and, and how they're doing, like you said, Daniel, so that they can realize they can't do it themselves. Yeah, that's so yeah. helpful. Thing. Uh, are there any final thoughts or comments you wanted to share with our audience? Yeah. Hey, Michael, why don't you just tell us a little bit about some other things you're working on? Um, you know, you know, you, I know you got a book that's coming toward completion. 
and you that might be something that's interesting and kind of what the angle is and so forth. So I'd like to hear from some of that about some of that. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I do have uh, a blog at fromwatertowine.org where I've written several articles um, about Mormonism from a new Christian perspective. Um, you can find me on Facebook on the uh, the Ex-Mormon Apologist page. I do have two books out. So I've got Falling into Grace, How a Mormon Apologist Stumbled into Christianity. And I've actually put um, a biblical defense of Mormonism back on the market uh, with a new chapter at the end explaining grace in Mormonese. And it is a great thing. I've let Latter-day Saints borrow it. I always say you can borrow it. I need you to bring it back so that we can discuss it. And they always do. So it, it's worked out for me so far. And yes, I have a, a book that will probably be publishing within a month called The Bakery of Doom. It is fictional. Um, it is a, uh, a horror slash romance book. But I did, uh, I did actually put some elements of Mormonism in there. There's a, uh, there's a cult that meets underneath the bakery. And so I used uh, some of my experience to, to form that. <laughs> so uh, I think any, uh, any ex-Mormon, whoever gets their hands on that, will uh, definitely see some familiarity in, in the book. So yeah, that's what's going on with me. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. I really appreciate being able to hear from you and, and learn about your story, learn about how God has totally transformed your life and set you on a new path. And even now, um, beginning to transform the lives of others through God's grace. Thanks for joining us on our interview today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoy talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. Again, this is the Culture Wise podcast where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.